me a hell yeah. I said give me a hell yeah. Everybody, this is Double G. If you can hear the sounds of driving cars and air conditioning, I'm in a car on a road trip to Stockton for APW's Civic Slam at the Stockton uh, Memorial Civic Center. And alongside me with, uh, with some insight, hopefully, and some stories, maybe even some road stories, hence the name of this show being on the road again uh, is John LaRocca APW's uh, booker so uh, we're going to just shoot the stuff and talk about some indie wrestling and memories and, and also other topics and such so uh, John the first, the first thing I want to talk to you about is you always hear uh, guys like Austin and Jericho and guys who have podcasts or who are guests on podcasts a lot, they always talk about the road stories, the, the road trips, driving, uh, you know, it's Austin and Paulie Dangerously and Rick Rude in, in the car together, and, you know, they're talking about insight and learning from certain guys. I, 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 I imagine when you were, when you were uh, you know, working for APW and other organizations for a short time uh, as a manager, you guys probably didn't have super long trips, but I imagine... You know the, that was still part of part of the deal was you know shooting the stuff, talking wrestling. Probably a lot of these guys are longtime wrestling fans. Uh, do you have any memorable stories of, of back in the day? Uh, we we did some long ones. We did like six to eight hour ones. You know, like Portland or Victorville or uh, Santa Maria, Bakersfield. Those were always long, but like the group I was with, which is Tom Caster. Uh, J.J. Perez, Derek Sanders, uh, Kafu, Kafu, Oliver John, and uh, Tito Aquino. Like, it's such an entertaining bunch. It's like those road trips really didn't really didn't have seen long because we're constantly talking, telling jokes, talking shit, um, talking about well, talking about wrestling. But I know a lot, a lot of times we didn't really focus on too many. Like, we talk about psychology and stuff, and that would come up. Usually after shows, more like a learning experience, like what we did wrong, what we did right, and how we can improve. But, like, a lot of times I think we kind of turn our brain off from wrestling just for, like, those trips, you know? Because uh-huh. they're all just packing jokes and having fun. And, uh, but, yeah, we would, um, you know, come up with ideas for people. Like, I remember Kafu one time, we were going to uh, Oroville for a show. Um, and he was just, at this time, wearing trunks and... He started fading, fading, painting his face a little bit, and he didn't really know, like, his character yet, you know? He was a Brazilian beast, I think, or something like that, and just didn't have a character. And I was like, at the time, I was watching a lot of Bruiser Brody, and I was like, yeah, you should really watch Bruiser Brody. He's a big guy, you know? He 
wouldn't get a lot from him. So like, I got him a tape of Bruiser Brody. I bought a tape from like High Spots, like a collection. And I was like, you should watch this. And, you know, I'm sure you can get some stuff from it. And next day, he just fell in love with it. He fell in love with the Bruiser Brody character and started, you know, he started ordering all the fur for a boots, for a jacket, adopting more of a wild man. So he. He had, like, the Brody look, but he wasn't doing Brody. Like, he was kind of being a more of a wild-eyed madman kind of thing. And, but he had the chain and everything. And it, it, uh, and he'd do different moves. He wasn't copying Brody's. He really didn't do a lot of move moves, but, like, you know, he was just doing his own style with it. So, and that, after that, that kind of took his character um, above and beyond. And then he got, you know, signed by WWE. So, so that was pretty cool. Like, that's kind of, that kind of brainstorming stuff was pretty cool. And you mentioned uh, Tom, who is now an uh, NXT referee. Yep, yep. Tom's down. And so the, I mean, that, I mean that's pretty cool. That's somebody who, you know, he really believed in in, in the dream of it and, and and made it happen for himself. You know, moving out there and stuff. Um, so when you were when you were, I mean, this is before you were you were booking. Obviously, you were a talent. You were a manager. Um, who did you actually, like, model yourself as a manager around? Oh, Cornette, for sure. Cornette and Heenan. Like, I would take from everyone. i watch everyone, you know, Dylan, um, even Scandal Akbar, guys like that. Just uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Like, i watch every every guy, you know, every manager I, I, I would focus on. Gary Hart. Gary Hart was tough because I didn't, I didn't think I had that scary... So dang big. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was like he, he's like just evil. Like he felt he was evil. You know. And I didn't have that in me. I had more of the smart ass, smart ass, knowing kind of manager. Yeah. So I really liked Cornet. I like how Cornet was always involved in the matches, like with his body language at ringside, where he wasn't taken away from what was going on inside the ring, but he would he would like move with the match. Mm-hmm. You know, the match is going on. He's pacing and he's he's up and down. His head's moving around like. You know, if the guy takes a big backdrop, he's following the guy. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I really liked that. And I felt like I felt like I want to be involved. I just want to stand out there. And so I took that for him. And then um, I kind of had, like, this. People used to annoy me, like, when I played Little League with, like, the parents. Yeah. Which, which like, which, like, would, like, live vicariously through their kids playing Little League or something. And, like, they would just put so much pressure on their kids and they would annoy me so I thought that was like a really annoying person so I kind of wanted to be that guy who wasn't as talented enough to wrestle but now I have these wrestlers mm-hmm. and so like um, um, I'm living through them so that's what I kind of character based off and then um, my name was kind of funny it was just Johnny LaRocca my, name, my real name is John LaRocca <laughs> but what, originally I was managing this team uh, called the Mafia with Venice DeMarco and Chris Coleone and the booker at the time of APW was Jason Dedrich and Gabriel Ramirez. But Dedrich was the one that was kind of like the idea of me being a manager. And he um, he was like, oh, come up with a gimmick, come up with a name. And I'm like, a name? I'm, I was thinking just John LaRocca. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people like my name. Even today, even uh, we have a new guy at my work, and he's like, LaRocca, that's a cool name. I said, like, man, you're, you're lucky you have a really good name. And I was like, oh, thanks. But, like, you know, I'm like, well, well, if I'm managing the Mafia, maybe I'll be a Giovanni LaRocca. That's John Italian. And he's like, right. oh, I can't spell that. <laughs> and I was like, well, you can look it up. <laughs> and I'll, and he's like, hmm, let me see here. What about Johnny LaRocca? And I was like, oh, man, that's brilliant. 
So then they wanted me to have like, you need a gimmick, and I'm like, well, I had the jacket, you know, kind of like the Bobby Heenan sequence jacket. Actually, it was Bobby Heenan sequence jacket. <laughs> but I saw like he would wear the same kind. I think we got from the same uh, store, yeah, or something. But uh, and he's like, you gotta have the megaphone and a telephone, and I was like, I don't want to be that guy or yeah. a tennis racket. I was like, I don't want to be that bad, you know. I don't want to copy. Yeah, I just want to create my own thing with this. Yeah. So luckily that that didn't. Um, plus, I'm Italian. I'm full blood Italian. Real, it's, it's real. If I need my hands, I talk with my hands. I need to move around my hands. Plus, I want to be able to grab a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a shot. I don't want to carry something around. It's so annoying. I remember when we was managing Ego and AJ Kirsch and, and Nate Rules. Like AJ Kirsch would come out with um, a mirror and hairspray and. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to carry this shit around? Yeah. And so, it just was annoying to me. So, he kind of finally, he finally just got the comb at that point. It was fine. And we just kind of got to the side or gave it to a young kid to go, student, take it to the back. But, yeah, that's how my character came around for managing. So, were you were you taking a lot of bumps being a manager? Um, no, actually. Well, Jason Detters wanted me to bump every match. But Roland didn't want me to bump every match because Roland was smart. Roland... Rolling new wrestling. Jason was an idiot, didn't know wrestling. And uh, <laughs> shout out to Jason. Well, he just didn't. He thought he did, but he didn't. He watched AWA and he thought he was a fucking expert. But <laughs> reality is, he didn't know much. And then, um, and so when he was managing, they would bump him every show, but it was like a rib. This is, this is what Rolling told me, all right? And then, you know, Rolling told me, like, because I told Rolling, I was like, they want me to bump every match. It doesn't make sense. Because, like, I would, I would bump when it counts, like, bump when at the end of a program or, yeah. or something. And he's like, you shouldn't be touched for a whole year, you know, like, you know, because he's, you know, grew up with Roy Shire, and yeah. you know, Ken Raimi never bumped, you know, for a long time, unless it meant something. So I was kind of always protected when it comes to bumping, but I had no problem with bumping, I just wanted to make sure it made sense. And I would do, like, the fun bump, I would do, like, the, the easy, like, little bip off the apron, which I always like to do. Um, uh, what else I would do? But I, did, I did some slams. My favorite one was, like, when my friend J.J., who was Mr. Wrestling uh, number four? He <laughs> that was, at the time he was just JJ Perez, but he uh, picked me up for the TKO, and I remember he like lifts me up, and I'm like, "Ooh, this is fun!" Like I'm in the air, and he's spinning me like almost like a little airplane spin first, and then he drops me right. But at first I'm like, "Wee!" And I remember the back just dying. I was like, "Dude, when he picked me up, I was just smiling. It was like so much fun. I'm going saw that." And he's like, "Oh shit!" I'm like, "Oh, dude, it was hilarious. It was hilarious." And that show, I have a funny story about that show. That show, there's an angle. I think we're in the match. Me is Ego, someone else. I think it's Ego and Derek Sanders was JJ Perez and two other people. It might have been Kid Omega and another guy. But who? Kid Omega? Oh, I thought you said Kenny Omega. I was like, what? No, yeah, no, no, no. I am, no, no. <laughs> young, very young Kid Omega. But, uh, so... I think this we got kicked out. Me and this valet, Mich- uh, Michelle. Her name was Peyton. Wrestling name was Peyton. She was. We we're supposed to get kicked out in the middle of the match. Yeah. And we're gonna at the end of the match come back in regular clothes with lucha mask on at the ringside. So when JJ's walking by, slapping hands, we attack him. Right. Oh, kind of like Paige. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, in theory, it was a good idea. Now, now we get thrown out. We go to the back. I'm rushing and changing just my regular clothes. And like, all right, we gotta hurry, we gotta run out there, right? So we run around the building, and I'm running, I'm running, running. I trip. Oh no! Over this like, I don't know, 
a sidewalk that's up a little bit. I go flying a good, like, I don't know, <laughs> a couple of feet, like, Superman style, full belly flop, and my legs in mud. Oh, my jeans happen. So when JJ picks me up, I'm like, dude, I was following Monday for the show before I got to got to the ringside. He's like, I was wondering why you were so wet. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I'll never forget that. That was, that was so much fun. That's that was hilarious. Cool. That was a cool spot. Um, so in the in the main event for uh, for APW's show tonight that we're actually driving to is uh, is Jeff Cobb, APW champion, defending it against. Uh, the former Pentagon, whatever his the, the five or six different words in his yeah, name Pentagon, these days. L zero M zero. And so uh, you know Cobb. Uh, I've heard Cobb on podcasts, and you know they'll always ask him like, "Well, you know who who trained you, or, or you know who brought you along?" And he will always mention you, and he will always mention Oliver John uh, as the as, as the guy who who trained him. So. You know, I, I imagine that you're, you know, you're super, super proud of, of, of just, you know, being one of the guys behind Cop because he's he's so hot right now. Yeah. Um, you know, you can talk a little bit about that, but also I was wondering, you know, other what other guys did you have some sort of influence in when it came to, you know, their their start or or, you know, getting them going, you know, as far as on the indie scene and stuff. Well, I mean, I don't like to compare for anything like that kind of stuff, but. I mean, Cobb was, you know, like, he came down with the Action Zone Wrestling crew, and we did this thing called Pacific Challenge, I saw, really, Cobb's one that really stood out to me, and I was like, oh, we can do something here, and so I put him up with Tim, Timmy Thatcher, and they had a really good match, and then, um, he was like, what do I, he called me up, he's like, what do I need to do to advance my career, and I just told him, you know, like, you're in Hawaii, and it's like, literally, literally a, uh, an island, so like you're, right. you know, there's one promotion. You really right. have to move to the United States. I know it's kind of sucks to leave paradise, but Hawaii is in the United States as well. I know, I, you know what I mean. <laughs> the mainland, I should say. Sorry, <laughs> oh, poor Hawaii. Uh, yeah, actually, Hawaii, Hawaii's fine. Hawaii, Hawaii is absolutely fine. Yeah, the, the everyone goes on vacation there. When you're the vacation spot of the United States, you're doing fine. Yeah, yeah, no, Hawaii's great. <laughs> but anyway, I was like, you know, you got to come, you know, to the mainland, and and that's where all the you know opportunities are at. You know, that's where you get noticed, and you're not really gonna get noticed out there. You know, unless... So he. And what, what time frame was this? That's 2012. So I mean, the internet is 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 picking up though. So even though you know if he get some stuff taped and you know he kind of you know has someone shoot some matches or something it's you you're, it's still hard for him just to get the looks because of where he's at yeah yeah because he's wrestling you know the same guys out there because there's only one promotion out there yeah so you know he's a better opportunity to see out here so that's what he did he moved out here moved to Folsom and yeah he's just now he's one of the biggest stars in the indie scene for sure you know always in the band every weekend he's He's out somewhere, not just the United States, but across the world, you know, like, it's awesome. I'm so happy for that guy. When, when he first got going and, and he really started picking it up, and I know um, the early days of Premiere, he was, like, one of your main main guys. Mm-hmm. What It seems like he was at a, at a certain level. I think people were talking about him. You know, you started reading a little bit. Dave Meltzer would have a little, little piece of information yeah. about him. But then he just bloomed it seemed like almost overnight in a sense 
Um, he had, you know, he had the Lucha Underground thing, mm-hmm. um, but still, that was not under the it was name really of PWG. Jeff Cobb. It was really yeah. PWG that really because a lot of a lot of a lot of there's a lot of promoters out there just who like look at PWG shows and think, oh, that guy must be great because he's on PWG. Right, show. right. And in this case, they're right. Jeff Cobb is great, and so they, you know, they they book him. So that's why that's why you get those shows. A lot of guys do those shows for you know for a lot less money than they normally do because. Right. You know the those start getting seen there, and they start getting other bookings, and so yeah, yeah, Cobb blew up from there, and and deservedly so. I think he would have been seen anyways somehow because he just had he had something special about him. You know, when you watch him, it's like it's 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 amazing. He's just such an amazing athlete. Like you cannot you cannot take turn your eyes away. You you have to watch him wrestle. He's he's he's, he's awesome. What well, uh, do you think? There's anything that he has done or that he's really really improved on uh since you first uh had been had been with him like like is it just everything sort of he's gotten better at or like like what what could you look at as oh you know he made this change or he made that change and that really like kind of took him to the next level i think like his confidence is up so like i think his personality is showing more in his matches like you know, the Jeff Cobb that I know seems to like show more in the matches too, you know. So, but then he also can turn it up and be like a, a ferocious beast out there. I mean, has he ever like has he ever worked heel before? Um, I, I'm sure he has somewhere. Um, I I never booked him as a heel. Um, I just kind of booked him as a super athlete. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, because yeah, when I started from Miro's, he, he was going to be like he was the guy, you know, he was the. Starts with Cobb, and then it kind of trickles down from there, you know. Yeah. Who Who are some other guys that that you've that you've worked with? Not necessarily that you have to take credit for, but you know, someone you may have, you know, you you may have booked or may have seen a little bit earlier than other folks. I think with APW and our YouTube channel, I think Thatcher really got a lot of, you know, opportunities for that. I think a lot of people started seeing Thatcher's work because um, you know I you know I, I gave him a long reign as the Internet Champion, so we had like all. And I always try to give him good matches because he's such a great worker. I always want to have these great matches, have you know, having face the best, and so I think a lot of that got noticed. And I think, uh, and it's really so because I think you know, I think Thatcher is in my eyes one of the best wrestlers out there today, anywhere really. So yeah, he's great. Now I know you don't necessarily need to take credit at all for this person because this person is, uh, you know, she made a name for herself. But um, you were one of the first people to look at trying to book Shayna Baszler, um, and you brought her over to premiere, and, and, and then, you know, she's also worked for APW, but that was yeah. at your insisting, and, you know, you, you, had, you knew from her MMA background, and, and the fact that, you know, she ran, you know, with the four horsewomen, and, and stuff that she could actually be uh, fairly marketable, and she's so gung-ho about pro wrestling, you know, yeah. we, we've had conversations with her where you're like, oh, wow, like... She's just as much a historian on this stuff as we are. Um, and so, you know, what do you, like, when you, when you saw, and, you know, I don't know if we're spoiling this or anything, because I don't know what happens in any of the matches. I only know that Shayna is a big part, and she goes very far in the tournament, and there's an angle with her and Rhonda and Jessamine and Marina and the WWE's version of the Four Horsewomen, and we'll probably see more uh, after that tournament uh, as far as where that, that thing goes. But, you know, when you saw that sh- that WWE is latching on to Shayna for this, you know, for this thing, like, what did you think? Because, you know, she hasn't really even really been wrestling that long. I think it's great. I, I'm happy for her. 
You know, she's just really good. Talk about someone that's picked it up, like, really, really fast. Yeah. It's like, I think anyone that comes from MMA to pro wrestling picks it up really fast. Like, look at Matt Riddle. That guy is a superstar, you know? That guy, I mean, he picked it up from, he's a natural. And then same thing, same thing with Tom Lawler, natural, like. Yeah, Lawler's uh, main eventing the, uh, the uh, Ed Laredo booked uh, show <laughs> this weekend. I mean, all those guys transition really well to, to pro wrestling, so I I mean, she's she picked it up quick and and like I I, I love Shayna. She is like I believe her. I I, mean, I believe that she's a, a killer out there. Like she yeah. comes out, yeah. And man, she looks like she's gonna just smash the person in the face, and it's gonna be violent and exciting. Like so, I when I had an opportunity to book her, she just started wrestling only like a few months, I think it was. And I you know had an opportunity to uh, you know contact her agent and get those connections going and and it worked out great I I, I enjoy working with Shane a lot she's so easy to deal with she's 100% professional and I'm so happy for her uh, success in the WWE now so uh, I think she's going to do really really well there if she signs there which if yeah if she sticks around yeah which, you know which I I'm, I'm confident I think she will I think she's a great athlete um, another person who you know people won't know it as as well as they know Shayna, but you also you know had her on your shows as uh, Nicole Savoy, and she's also a part of this whole uh, May Young Classic uh, tournament. Um, you know, talk a little bit about about Nicole and what you saw in her and, and how she's improved. Oh, Nicole's a grinder from starting off just as a valet to uh, you know working hard to being one of the top. Uh, women on the indies right now, you know, and the man, like, she's really popular, and she's always, like, she's very, she's very hard on herself in her matches, but, like, that's because she has so much passion for this, you know, mm-hmm. and she's really improved on her look, she's gotten, like, more muscular, and that just adds to her whole complete, I think she's one of the, she's a complete package, you know, really, and um, so I'm excited for her success, too. Um, so, just, uh, I've asked you this question in person, like uh, when we're when we were at Cauliflower Alley. You know, I'm just we're just talking wrestling for like literally like a day and a half straight, and just talk, you know booking territories and booking the actual Cauliflower Alley guest list for <laughs> or a talent list for the next year. Yeah. Um, and so I've asked you this question before, and I th- actually probably more than once, and I think your answer, you know, changes. Uh, based on when I ask you, which is kind of just shows you how fast the the wrestling business moves, and the and especially with the the guys who are in demand for independent scene. Mm-hmm. But let's say if you had um, wrestling observer money, <laughs> and really you know money was not too much of an object for you when it came to guys that. That you wanted to, to book around the Northern California area, not and and you know you work for you you're booking for APW, so this is just sort of like a dream scenario, right? Yeah. But who would be like your top four guys that you would go after and say, if I could have these guys on my shows, you know, half of half of the time, I think we would do really well. Man, it depends how you're marketing it. Uh, I mean, as you see the APW, it's like very valuable to have like former WWE names and stuff, so, yeah. you know, a guy like Cody Rhodes for, would be, if you could, you know, right. he's on the contract right now, so he's not, but, uh, 
yeah, a guy like that, like those are the kind of guys you have, probably have to start with. But to Jeff Koff, for sure, I would lock up. Just be, you know, lock up Jeff. I'd love to have Tim. Um, I've been watching a lot of Japan lately. Like, not just like New Japan, but like <laughs> various different promotions. And there's a, there's a lot of guys I would I would just grab them there and bring them out here and see how they draw. Because you know you don't get to see those guys out here, you know. So I'd probably do uh, a couple guys like that from like Big Japan and uh, Tatsuya Nomura, Nomura and uh, Sakimoto would be good. Like those kind of guys. You mentioned earlier uh, someone like Matt Riddle. Um, yeah, Riddle. You know, I, I, he hasn't even been out in this this uh, out in Northern California, as far as I know. No. Um, what, what what do you think about him and and possibly uh, trying to get him at some point? I would love to have an ABW show. I mean, we talked about Marks and I talking about it, so hopefully uh, sometime this year or, or early next year, you know, but who knows how long that guy's going to be around for, you know? I know there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of big countries already know, already know him, so he might be uh, unavailable soon, I think. So I, um, I have been, uh, I, I actually helped uh, Court Bauer, who is doing uh, a one-night show or a one-night event, f- busting out the old MLW name again, which has now become his podcasting network, and he's doing a show with uh, Ricochet and Shane Strickland headlining, and uh, and I think there's going to be some pr- you know promo material out there. I helped him get some some sound bites from from Big Dave Meltzer, and I'm interested to see how that thing looks, but. Uh, what about guys like that? Like, I, I don't think I've actually seen Shane Strickland wrestle before, but someone like Ricochet, yeah. I imagine he's probably got a pretty high price tag because of his but name if value you had the, and stuff. Yeah, but if you had the money, for sure. is, that, is that also a guy? Oh, yeah, I definitely would like to have Ricochet. Guys like that. Have you seen Shane Strickland? Yes, yes. He's another kind of guy like, like uh, Ricochet. Well, high flyer, uh, does a lot of just crazy, crazy moves. You know, he's a good athlete. By the way, Google Maps has us like driving through the cuts in in, uh, in Fremont. I was just gonna say, what the hell? Just trying trying to get through a lot of the traffic that is, for whatever reason, holding up. Uh, as and you know, as we're driving at two twenty, which is like a non-traffic time. <laughs> uh, the Central Valley. The, uh, the the freeways are all jam packed. So Google Maps is doing their best job trying to get us through the back streets to get to Stockton a little bit. Damn, I've never been this back street. Like, I know. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to make sure I'm following this I'm not map. Text correctly. Marcus. Say I'm not going <laughs> to. I don't know, man. We're going to stop one of these houses and get dinner or something. <laughs> That's so funny. Now I'm seeing all this thing. I love seeing like areas I haven't been to before, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope I hope Google Maps knows what it's doing because I'm following this thing. Yeah. You know, like it's like it's uh, like it's my lifeline here. Come to something over here. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the show. And basically, by the time this podcast is out, uh, you know, the show will be over. But I kind of want to bookend, you know, what we're doing. And we'll have a little discussion about how the show turned out uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, results and stuff after this. But talk a little bit about the show. So I've actually never seen Pentagon live. I think he worked with... You didn't it. go to those other ones? No, I didn't go. To, I didn't go. I haven't been able to go to some of these shows. So I never got to see him. Um, and I'll get to see him in the main event tonight. Yeah, yeah. Against Jeff. Against Jeff. So that should be pretty pretty spectacular. Should be 
nuts. Um, what, so tell tell me a little bit more about the card. What are what are uh, you know all the matches you've put together? So I'm sure you're excited about all of them, but which ones you know which ones stand out to you as possible you know barn burners or show stealers? Looking forward to uh, Thatcher and Matt Cross, who's uh, son of Havoc and Lucha Underground. He's also the guy who uh, was tough enough too. Was on tough enough, yeah, but then he got yeah. cut early, right? Yeah, that was weird. I think. I don't know. Some you know, you know, you know things are overproduced, so you never know like why they did stuff like that. But yeah, he's a great talent. What was his uh, old uh, uh, M Dog twenty? Right, or right, that? right, yeah, right. So, right. but he's like really, really good. And I remember um, seeing him a couple times. Marcus has brought him in for stuff, and uh, he worked Dave Dutra. Then one of Dave Dutra's best matches was with Matt Cross. Shout out to Dave. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was re- really good. Um, so I'm looking forward, because it's a clash of styles in a way, because, you know, you have the Matt wrestler, the scientific wrestler, Timmy Thatcher, and then you have the high flyer and, um, and Matt Cross. Like, I love style clashes. Like, I really think they make for a great match, because two guys with different styles has to blend together to make, like, a, 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 a really entertaining match. So there's that. Um, we have Tommy Dreamer, the uh, hardcore ECW legend. Um Wrestling against Carl Fredericks, who's a guy we're really high on. Um, young kid with a lot of upside. So it's always good to see a young kid work with a veteran and see what they learn. And uh, I think he's going to do do really well. So looking forward to that match. And what else do we have? We have uh, Jacob Fatu and my um, Jungle Boy. Winner winner of the... Uh of the uh, battle royal at the uh, at the at the Cow Palace show, yeah, Jacob fought too. Yeah, won the uh, battle royal. Is going against Sin Bodhi, who was Kazarni in WWE, and also uh, Funny Bone. Wait, he just followed me on Twitter for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> How did that happen? I don't know. He's probably just <laughs> get, getting his followers up. No, he's a, but uh, um, yeah, no, he's uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to working with him. I, I, I seen him at Cauliflower. I didn't really talk to him, but he's always there. He has like his is um, he f- makes these figures, and it's really just awesome stuff. Dutra loves it, and uh, when you go to Cauliflower, he like has to stop by that booth. Yeah, and then um, so yeah, looking forward to work with him. And he really cut this really creepy promo for us, and like you talk about a guy that goes all out like for the promoter that books him. Yeah, he's definitely one of those guys. So that's that's. That's really cool, and then Funny Bone's a hell of a talent. I, you know, he's just really good, and he's exciting, and he has this great look and great character. So, yeah, that match is going to be a that's going to surprise a lot of people. So you mentioned, uh, so you mentioned Jungle Boy a little bit, um, and Jungle Boy is my favorite only because, <laughs> well, I've only seen him a couple times, but he's automatically becomes my favorite because he is the son of the legendary <laughs> Luke Perry from Beverly Hills 90210 fame and Riverdale. Uh, have you seen Riverdale yet? <laughs> no. no. Uh, you, I think you would really like Riverdale. That's what you're saying. The, the it, it's very uh, it's very sort of teenagery kind mm-hmm. of show, but the cliffhanger endings and sort of the relationship to the Archie comics and that kind of stuff, I think you I think you'd really like it. Um, so so uh, so Jungle Boy is uh, is kind of under your wing a little bit. I know you see you, you see you see something in him. Um, with, is, is Luke coming tonight? Like like when am I going to meet Luke? Like that's I what I want. I don't know. know. I don't even have to talk to him about his dad. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think Jungle Boy. There's something. There's something there. There's something. 
there's something I've got to tap into. I don't know what it is, but he's definitely a project. And he did really good in that gauntlet match the last show. Looked really, really good. And every show he gets really good reactions. So it's like, you know, I always keep my ear to the audience and see who they start picking up on and gravitating to. And so he's been one. So I, I'm, I'm really working with him and see what we can do and, and build off each and every match he has. So. The... Uh... We'll, and we'll talk about you know we'll we'll circle back after we we get we get back in the car from uh, from the show so you know we'll have updates and stuff and I'll get your takes on you know all all the matches but uh, the this is like a segue to somebody who was actually supposed to be in Stockton this weekend and this is you know not necessarily happy news but uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair is in the hospital and he's been in the hospital for you know a week or so. Um, that is a sad story, and it's a frustrating story. Maybe not necessarily a surprising story, with his health concerns, and you know, hope that whatever happens, he can he can you know make that comeback and and, and get better, and 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 you know, we can see him again on whatever. But uh, it's kind of it's it's sad because the one thing about wrestling which is probably closer to maybe stand-up comedy or like the rock scene of when people you grow up with uh, seeing and watching and and really enjoying, you know, their 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 shelf life isn't 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 as as long. But you know, Nature Boy's now in his late sixties and he's lived this, you know, as the Nature Boy character. Like, I don't know, I, I'm I, it's kind of hard to put into words, you know, how I feel about it. But uh, just hope that guy, you know, can can come back and and get healthy and and be okay. But it, it is a scary sort of situation with him. Yeah, I know. I keep I think about that. I check my, I check everything every day. I message Big Dave like, "How's he doing?" Says, you know, far whatever face he can give me. So, yeah, I hope he hope he makes a comeback because uh, we need a Nature Boy around for sure. The this it's kind of related, but. You know, our, our podcast that we've actually shot the first two episodes of, uh, the We Want Flair podcast, which looks into the end of Flair's stay for World Championship Wrestling and how World Championship Wrestling then takes the, you know, just not having Flair and how they rebuild and try to who they push. And, you know, we're really focusing on that era of WCW. And we'll talk about the related WWF stuff at that time, too. But it's, you know, it, it, we've been, we've both have been kind of, you know, doing our research on, on that era of Flair, um, talking about, you know, he, he, you know, he had just gotten, uh, in 89, just gets, gets through, you know, one of his best in-ring years of his, of his career, uh, in 90, you know, it's, there's, there's a bunch of issues going on because of the starts and stops and because of Sting getting hurt. And then them having to change plans, and and then you know by the end of uh, by early '91, Flair's got the title again. So you know we've been doing all of our, our research on it. So it's just it's just crazy that you know we're about to to start putting out episodes of this podcast, and this this news comes out because you know we're both huge Flair guys, and it's uh, I don't know about the timing, what that says or anything, but you know we've just been you know on our flair stuff again and this news just came at the time where we're like whoa like this is kind of crazy and it i mean it doesn't really fit into the podcast the way that we wanted to talk about it but you know i'm sure it will now change slightly you know how 
how, how we go through this podcast in the upcoming episodes, which, you know, we haven't put them out yet because I want to bank, you know, at least four before we start releasing them. But, you know, it will sort of change the dynamics of what we're going to talk about. So uh, let's move on and talk about something that probably will make us a little bit happier, which is the G1. Um, you know, just uh, last Sunday uh, was the, or Saturday night, I guess, uh, the finals. Uh, Naito beating Omega in, what did you say Dave gave that match? Five and three quarters. Five and three quarters. Stars. <laughs> so did you see that um, on Twitter someone said, so does this mean that the three matches you gave more than five stars to are the three greatest matches you've ever seen in your life? And he said, definitely. Or he said something like that. So the two Omega uh, Okada matches and the Naito Omega match, those are Dave's three favorite matches. Wow. All in the same year. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a year of great matches all around. There's so many great matches all over the place. Did, did he, was he really popping for that match? Like, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was really excited. I mean, it was a good, it was a great match. The finals was awesome. And Okada and Omega was awesome. And same thing with Tanahashi Naito. You know, it's just, talk about ending a tournament on a high note. Jeez, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, because... That's the idea of a tournament. You want to peak with the best matches, usually. Yeah. Know? Unless you have some kind of angle. But, like, this is more of, like, when it comes to match, because it's all about match quality, this tournament. Yeah. So you really want to peak with, like, the best match possible. I personally liked the Naito and Omega matches a little slightly ahead of Omega and Akata. Just, like, just was really into that match. and. You know, you just never know how it's going to go. Though I know everyone kept saying Naito's going to win. Even I said that was going to happen. But, yeah. But you just never know. They, they really they really teased a lot. It was great. And, and Naito was brilliant. Mega was, like, really, really good that match. Yeah. So. I liked Omega Okada slightly more. But, like, it's literally by a hair, right? Like, you're literally, like, yeah. you're going... Well, here are two of the greatest matches that I've ever seen, you know, in in the last five years. And now, you know, what, you know, how, which one is better? Like, it's 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 not, it's like a pick em at that point. Yeah. So we just put out a, uh, a list of matches uh, of our 10 best matches that we thought based on our average rankings. Uh, I asked... Uh, Alan Cunahan from uh, uh, from Fight Game Blog, and he's also part of the F4W Online team. And you know, he's like the the guy who's been watching this stuff like just religiously. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has so much knowledge of this scene, and uh, he does his research, and he's always going back and watching old matches. So I thought he would be like the perfect guy to uh, to get his feedback. So he gave us his top twenty. You gave me your top twenty. Our buddy, uh, the Heartbreak Kid, David Rubio, who is currently on his way to, to Las Vegas right now, hanging out with the F4W crew at the convention. He gave the top 20, and then my top 20. And so we put our list together, and we I just averaged them out, you know, to see what, what, the, what the, top, the top 10 was. And so... We'll go, we'll go from 10 to 1, and we don't really have to comment too much because you can find the whole list on, on Fight Game Blog. Just got it published on, on Friday. Um, so uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, uh, from very early in, in the tournament. Was that actually the first night? No, that was... Uh, well, I'd say it was more in the middle of the tournament. More, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. I was thinking of... I'm thinking of a different match. 
uh, Naito and Ibushi was the first night. Yes, that's the match I was thinking. Of. Okay, so Tanahashi and Ibushi is uh, is number ten on our list, and um, you know I wrote a little bit about kind of the ending of it where uh, Tanahashi looked dead and Ibushi hits that that last ride sit out power bomb, and Tanahashi has like one of the greatest kickouts ever at like the, that was like two point nine 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 nine. In the kick out, and then and then uh, Ibushi grabs uh, grabs both of his arms and throws that 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 knee thrust uh, as as his he, he used that a few different times, um, and he won that match. So that was number ten. Then we had uh, Zack Saber Jr. and Kota Ibushi, and Rubio was writing about how you know Ibushi didn't use his like normal high flying and 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 style, and it was more mat based, and you know he was more doing a lot of selling for for Sabers. Uh, submissions and stuff, and uh, and and you know it was really like um, kind of a showcase match for Abushi in the sense of you know I don't only have like this these one or two styles like I could wrestle in any style, and I thought that was that was pretty interesting. What did you think of? Um, I mean, because I know you've you've worked with Zach a little bit at least once. What did you think of Zach in the tournament? A lot of people were saying. You know, this—he was like one of the one of the rising stars of the tournament. Um, I thought some of the matches got a little bit repetitive, but his style is so different that it, it, it did give a a good. Um, it was a, it was a good different for for that tournament based on his style. Yeah, I think he uh, his stock raised a lot in this tournament, especially with his two wins. You know, his wins over. He, he really put him strong. Like they really set him up for Tanahashi big. Which, yeah, you know that was awesome. I think it's probably, probably, probably for October, I would think, the, the Kings of Pro Wrestling show. So that's probably what's going to set up there. And, you know, he beat Tanahashi on the first night by submission, and he also beat Tanahashi in the tag match under on the, during the night of the finals. So they got him set up big. He also beat Ishii as well. So, I mean, he, he's, yeah, his stock's risen very high. Uh, speaking of, of Ishii, uh, number eight was him and Tanahashi mm. uh, on August that match 6th. That so good. That's eight. That's how crazy this list is. And, uh, yeah, right. And, and it is number eight. And, you know, when you have, when you have lists like this, uh, you know, any number of the top ten, you know, yeah, whatever could, combo be, could you be number to, one on anybody yeah, else's list. If it was list. top ten list, you probably really can't argue because you're like yeah it's good that was a great match too and i'm sure there are matches that got left off of our list that people watch and go that was one of the best matches i ever saw and that was what was so great about this tournament is i've never watched wrestling in this way in my life and this is you know part of the new technology and and being a wrestling fan it has never been better because of so much content out there but you know it would wake up and i would make breakfast and i would throw on uh throw on new japan world and start watching and then, you know, I'd get through a match, and then I'd eat breakfast, and I'd get through another match, and then I'd go to the gym, and I'd get through two more matches, and then I'd come home, and I'd eat, eat dinner, and I'd get through another match. And, yeah, and you're like through, that. you know, you're through the whole the whole day. Was it three weeks tournament, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like three weeks, I had like this routine that I had, stuck to, to be able to watch these matches. It was, it was, it was, it was fun. I really enjoyed it, and it made it so much so much fun it was like just our constant communication regarding these matches between us three yeah Rubio and uh, yourself so, so that was fun and it, it, it made it, it was like I, I, I guess I would say it's sort of like um, the NBA finals or, or like March Madness in the sense where 
you know, you're given enough time, and actually they probably could give even more time between shows, but you're given enough time to watch, discuss it, and then right when you're done discussing, like, there's another show to watch, and you're just constantly yeah. in the zone with this stuff. I, I Like, I think, even though it was, I mean, it, it, there was some difficulty, uh, you know, if you had plans or something, and you could, and you had to get off of your routine, it was, it's kind of hard to get back on it, but... You know, it, it was it was probably the most fun I've ever had watching wrestling in like a three week stretch. I can't even the heartbreak here is watching the entire show. I was I just watching G one matches. I know, me too. matches. Me like too. he was watching the whole show. I was like, man, I don't know how you can keep up with that. Well, well he, had, he had to abort about halfway through, but yeah. he, he did it for a, you know, I don't lost half of the half of the tournament. Yeah. Um. So uh, number seven is. Uh, Suzuki and Okada, and you got to write the little write-up about that one. That was uh, that went to a draw, um, and I and and it was you know different from the last Okada Suzuki match, which before this tournament was like my second favorite match of the whole year. After this tournament, it probably gets moved down quite a bit, but um, you know that just just shows the again, like, their versatility in being able to tell stories and not having to do it in the same manner. Yeah, no, that match was, it was great, and it just, like, it was, you know, you had, you had Suzuki doing different. Like, he wasn't about getting submissions, and he was really trying to punish, because, you know, Okada, as match before this, he lost to Evil, which he took a lot of punishment, especially on, on his neck. So he came in with a bad neck, and so Suzuki's, like, pounding on him, trying to go for the pile driver, and uh, then they start hammering each other with these open hand slaps, which after a while got a little too much. Yeah, you know, they were like, "Okay, this is going way too long." They're slapping the shit out of each other. Yeah, they're and it's you know, which you kind of like if you look at the tournament, you looked at the matches, how they were lined up. You kind of like this match here. I think everyone kind of circled and said, "Okay, Okada's really going to be beat up by the time he gets to Omega after this match with Suzuki," and that's what happened. Yeah, and yeah. I like that. I like that. I like the fact that they went to a draw instead of having Okada beat Suzuki. But I think if you beat him, it would have been, like, automatically in the final or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and I think they beat Suzuki a little too much, in my opinion. But, you know, I know people debated that. People argued about that. But I think so. I think you should protect him just a little more. Because that guy, as you can tell, like, after this match is over, you're kind of, like, want to see Okada and Suzuki again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm assuming you're talking about him losing to Yano. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I know, like, just the, the gimmick in G1, like, he can't beat Yano, but, like, I don't know. I think it's kind of in that gimmick, you know, especially after, you know, he's lost to, uh, he lost to Evil, he lost to Omega, he lost to, um... Okada. Okada. Well, no, Okada was a draw, but still, you know... Oh, no, you're talking about Suzuki, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think he, you know, I think he should just have him... Play. I just wanted to see him go and just... Because the whole tournament, everyone seemed like they were in a competition that had the funniest match with the, with the Yano. Yeah. And I think the best matches that Yano had were Okada, his first one, which I thought was just entertaining for top to bottom. I love that match. Mm-hmm. And then also with Juice, I thought that was, that was really creative. Um, so I was like, after all everyone was trying to have this funny match with Yano, I thought it would be great if just Suzuki just came and just blitzed just him. Bl- yeah. Yeah. But... You know they had this they have this fun storyline which I, I guess the fans are into and then you know which is great but like I don't know I thought you know time to change that up you know yeah um, and then the next two matches on our list uh, 
were early, uh, sort of early in the tournament, and I liked I liked having Omega and Okada in the same block for this one reason, which is now I don't know if any of this is true. I, I imagine because of the athletes and the competitiveness that they have, that they probably like having the idea of well, you know, if Omega has this kind of match with Michael Elgin then I want to have an even better match with Michael Elgin. Like, that's just natural competition, right, between two of the best. Yeah. You know, when you're the best, like, that's what helps you stay the best is, is that you're always able to raise your game and, you know, you see little little competitive slights and you use those to your advantage. And, um, you know, Okada uh, had, or Omega had the first match, or no, no, Okada had the first match with Elgin, and then I think Omega came back a few days later with his match with Elgin. And I noticed this as, as a slight trend, which is, um, and, and I, I didn't do all of the research of all the matches because we didn't we didn't rank you know all hundred matches or whatever how many ever there were. Actually, maybe a Rubio actually did. Alan might have done it too, but I only ranked you know maybe like a top twenty five or yeah. something. But it was almost as if like Okada's match with the same guy that Omega had a match with. Okada's match was a slightly better in in most in most cases, um, and so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, obviously, their styles are a lot different. Okada wrestles a much more sort of like championship style, uh, and and Omega takes a lot more crazy chances. So a lot of it's just subjective. Like, what kind of wrestling do you like better? But I thought that was so interesting. And in and in our list here, you know, we had the Okada Elgin match just one spot higher than uh, the Omega Elgin match. And I, you know, I, I thought both of them were really good, but I just thought that that point was was super interesting in, in just the way that, that we saw this tournament go. Yeah, well, I mean, that's another guy that up to stock too in this tournament was Elgin, for yeah. sure. Both and, matches to me were yeah. were really good, uh, a lot in due part to him. Yeah, no, he's he's really, really good. And then I really liked the Okada match with Elgin. I thought it was, I didn't, you just felt it was going to be good. Like, oh, it's probably going to be a really good match. But then, like, it's like he felt like he was going to win the championship, Elgin, you know, you know so I yeah. really want to see that championship match in the future. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that that, that was that, that was my leading match for the, uh, the longest time until uh, until Tanahashi Naito should happen. So. And that's the next match on our list, which is number four, which is the uh, A-block final, uh, Tanahashi and Naito. Um, you know, just you mentioned and you're right. It just little things that that made so much sense, and that anybody who is in the business wrestling business should study. Uh, just the, the small things that they did. Uh, just you know, I, I I agree with you in that. You know, I had like all these matches ranked, and then when it came to the finals of the blocks, and then the final, like I just had to shift everything down like three or four spots. That's good. That's what we want. Yeah, it was know, pretty, that's what we hope for. We hope we hope that the finals are going to live up to being. These big matches than he, he did. Yeah, Tanahashi and Naito was just oh, it's just wrestling at its best. Yeah, and so uh, the only match in the top in the top four that wasn't from the last three nights is actually one from the first night, which is Naito and Ibushi on uh, on the seventeenth. And so um, you know this match kind of it, it really got the tournament started and like. Not to say that you know, it was, I mean, it was really high on everybody's list for sure, but having a match like that kick off the tournament and you're just like, 
oh shit, is it going to be like this every night? Yeah. And it wasn't like that every night, but most nights I would say there was at least one or two really solid matches where you're just like, oh my gosh, I just saw another really good match. Yeah, that match was... That match is nuts. The whole pile driver, the top rope thing. Yeah. It's like, ugh. It's just these guys, I'm, like, I'm, I'm watching this match, I'm like... They have to wrestle nine or eight more times after this. Like, that's a, they like definitely set the bar high in the first night. Then the, and same thing with Tanahashi and Zack Saber, which I think was the match before that one. So they definitely picked the right match to go on last. Yeah, because no, no one's gonna follow that. Those guys are just just great. And then you know, Naito, I think to me, I think he's the complete package of of anyone out there. I know people have to say Omega and you know Cotter are better, but I just think he. He's a, he's slightly better just when it comes to the whole package of charisma and, and you know just the way he carries himself in the ring and and he's so smart with his matches and how he lays them out and his footwork is unreal. <laughs> so explain and and you know I am not by any means a, a veteran of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like you know I read stuff in the Observer, but until we got New Japan World, I wasn't able to really see any of this mm-hmm. stuff. But explain how Naito became like the most popular guy in that company. It's weird because he at one point like the, he got hurt. It was really hot. Like he was really popular, and like you saw, okay, this guy's gonna be a future champion of the company. And him and uh, him and him and Tanahashi are gonna have this great program and. And then him and Okada, but like he got hurt, came back when G one. The, the fans are kind of like rejected it. Yeah, like they didn't think he deserved it. And then that year where they had a vote, like what would main event Tokyo Dome, Okada and Naito or Tanahashi Nakamura, and Tanahashi Nakamura won. And for the Intercontinental title, was the head of the heavyweight title, which is yeah. which I can't believe the company did that. You know, and I felt. It's actually made Naito turn heel. That turned him heel. He started going heel because of that. You know, the fans rejected him. Now, now he became the most popular guy in the company and the, the biggest merchandise seller. So right, right, right. So it's almost like WWE really should look at New Japan because of Roman Reigns and see how they can. Yeah. And you know, maybe, maybe Reigns going heel, which I think he should for a little while. God, we've been saying that for three. Just years to now. get the you know, because you know what the fans are going to do. They'll they'll get right behind. We know it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, but, you know, just, just the WWE doesn't want to do that right now with him. They want to keep him as a bay face. And, uh, but by, by the way, Google Maps is telling me that it has already shaved about 20 minutes off of our time. So, <laughs> nice. so maybe all those taking all those back roads was actually, was actually a good thing. Um, and so the last two matches, obviously... Uh, Omega Okada was the second, and this was such a tight race. So, you and Alan had um, Naito Omega as the top match, and me and Rubio had Omega and Okada <laughs> as the top match. Now, generally, you would say, oh, well, that just means it's a tie. But Alan actually had, I believe he had the um, Night. Was it Naito Ibushi? It may have been the Naito Ibushi match that he had second, and then he had Omega caught a third. So that's that's what kind of dropped it. So there was no tie, um, and and uh, and it was and Omega Okada. So you know, I think we take for granted a little bit now. I don't think that that first match 
that they had at Tokyo Dome was the greatest match I ever saw. I know a lot of people do. I know Big Dave that did at the time, and he put that match over so big. And so maybe when I was watching it, I was like, eh, well, you know, I, I, I he set the bar for, for me watching it. I was like, oh, this is a really good match, but I don't know if it was six stars, right? Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe four and a half stars or, or whatever. But it was really good. And then when we watched the second match, and, and the way that we watched the second match is we, uh, we watched it the following morning, early in the morning, like 9 o'clock or whatever. Yeah. And we started watching that whole show, and we turned off all of our cell phones so that we wouldn't get any texts. And uh, we had our coffee, and we were just ready to go. And, you know, that was a long show, too. So I don't know, it was probably like 1 o'clock or something by the time we were done. a four-hour show. Yeah. And so, you know, watching that match, I was just like, oh, my God, I might have seen the best match that I've ever seen in my whole life. And then, so this third match, how do you how do you do better? Like, how do you how do you get it to that level? You got to tell a different story. You have uh, less time. And so, not to say that this third match was at the level of that second match because I don't think it was. But when it comes to the standpoint of like, how do you how do you do something a little bit different that still keeps the quality up? Like, I'm almost more impressed with the third match because of the way that they were able to be creative and uh, and just trying to reach that bar that they set with the other two matches. Yeah, like like the third match had the, the story of Naito, you know, Okada's neck, so Omega is focused on that. Like Everything he did was focused on the neck. That's why I really like this match probably the most. I don't know. I, I gotta watch the, the 60 minute Broadway again, but the I really enjoyed like seeing Omega like really focus on one body part and and it's you know that's what I, it, what in a real life match that's what happened right the guy had a bad neck you wouldn't be trying to go for leg locks yeah you would you know f- focus on his head and focus on his neck to to knock him out of commission so he can win the match and so that's what I really liked about the match I really that's why I really I mean I really enjoyed that match a lot and then Omega and Nigel happened I was like man these guys are just <laughs> put it all on the line the last night and so that's that's why I made it my favorite okay give me the energy in the room when uh, Naito misses the table on the pile driver spot we're all just said oh shit together in unison basically because we're like oh my god like it's that looked nasty and Kenny sold it great you know but then you know they went to the replay you showed like you know Naito really did protect him but yeah a lot of that stuff's always scary to watch, especially that DT on the posting looked look nasty, and they didn't replay it, so I couldn't tell like how it came off, but like it just it just looked nasty, and Kenny make got the perfect like oh this is not this is not the way it's supposed to be kind of face, yeah, so, and then it turned into that uh, super duper Frankenstein off the top. You mean there wasn't a Japanese version of the you fucked up chant? No, no, no. <laughs> Japanese crowds are the best. They are absolutely the best. I've been, like I said, I've been watching a lot, a lot more Japanese wrestling. It's almost like back in the '90s when I was, you know, or not '90s, yeah, late '90s when I was tape trading. But um, just watching all these promotions and like the crowds are so respectful and, and they, they enjoy the the art of what's presented in front of them. And, and then you know, Jap- uh, I really want. I wish we were at that that show. I mean, we had like. How many friends we had that show? We had a bunch of friends that we knew at yep, the show. Yep, Todd, Todd Martin, Alex Goff was there. Jeez, 
had uh, some guys I talked to from Real Hero Drive. He was there, joined. His, uh, actually, he's been a lot of fun following on uh, uh, his brother Mort. Following him on uh, Twitter because he's been in Japan for like two weeks and like just updating his little statuses and going to all these shows. It's just like just so jealous. I think Alex wrote on Facebook something like, "That's the greatest match I've ever seen live." And so, to me, I was like, oh, that means it's going to be really great. Um, and he didn't really spoil it for me. I mean, I kind of knew who was going to win anyways, but um, when he said that, I was like, well, that means it's a great match. But then again, how many live matches have you been to that are even close to that quality? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I was thinking of, which is, you know, you've seen a lot of great matches. You know, Meltzer's trying to... Uh, compare the Omega Okada series to the Flair Steamboat series from 89 and a lot of people are getting mad at him because in his opinion you know it's better um, uh, the the Omega Okada stuff is better in his opinion and so um, and and so we just saw you know the three Omega Okada matches we saw the G1 you know there's been other stuff at the uh, uh, in, in and the Japanese wrestling in, in New Japan this year, like, if you were to compare, like, I think you, I think you've said that Flair Funk is one of your one of your greatest matches of all time. Like, can, is it hard for you to compare the eras like that and say, well, this is something I saw as a kid and it was so meaningful to me, and now I'm an adult and it doesn't, it's not necessarily probably as me- meaningful or memorable. Like, how do how do you compare? Do, or do you just not try and you just go, oh, that was a great match, and I've seen. A handful of you know great matches that compare. I think you just got to go by era, you know, like in, in the in the eighties era. You know, Flair's Team Boss trilogy is you know the greatest trilogy at that time. And then same thing with you know the seventies. You talk about Funk and Briscoe, and then now you can you know definitely the trilogy of Omega Nakata is one of the greatest. You know, same thing with and also just below that is Tanahashi and Okada as well. So. And that's that's probably the biggest debate should be I guess, these Tanahashi matches but I think a lot of things with Omega and Akata it, it kind of took a life on its own because of the six star rating yeah if it was just a five star rating I think people oh it was a great match you know and that that was the match that I compared Omega Okada to the first one which was I thought Tanahashi Okada was better from the year prior yeah I like that match too yeah so I was like well if I'm comparing those two matches, and one of them I watched live, which was a, which was a Tanahashi Okada, so that may have biased me a little bit, but I just felt like that match was, you know, that match was just one of the greatest matches I ever saw. And when I think of live matches now, you know, if you're thinking about seeing matches live that you would put on that that style of list like I can think of two and one of them was it was a raw match so it didn't have the length of of one of these one of these kind of matches it was uh Austin and Triple H against Benoit and Jericho right like just part of why that was so great is that crowd was so into that match Mm -hmm. and you also had the underdog baby faces against like this heel regime of you know the two veteran superstars who never lose and so that was also part of it but I just remember leaving the San Jose Arena 
that night, and I think, I want to say that in the update, Meltzer had said that the plan is for Jericho and Benoit to win, so I was kind of, like, hoping that that was going to be the case. I was just like, wow, that's, like, maybe the most fun I've ever seen wrestling in my whole life <laughs> after that match. You you weren't at that match, No, though. no, I did not. I watched it on, on, on Raw that night, but, yeah. Yeah, I was bummed. I missed a little lot of matches I missed in the San Jose area. I wish I... Just would have bought my own ticket and went to, but... Uh, and the other thing that I have a little bit of... Uh, uh, th- that I can speak about, which is I I was at WrestleMania 25 and 26, so I got to see both Michaels-Undertaker matches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's an argument there, which I think most people think WrestleMania 25 was the better match, and I don't. I think WrestleMania 26 was a better match. But still, like, again, it's like, who cares? Because they're both great. But I, I, like, when I, after WrestleMania 26, after that match, and we were, you know, we were leaving, me and the kids were leaving the, um, you know, the Arizona Stadium uh, in Phoenix or wherever it is, we were just like, wow, that was so amazing. <laughs> and because it was at WrestleMania, I think that made it feel even bigger, maybe, yeah. than it was. And so, like, those are the two matches where I can go, okay, I saw two really super great matches in comparison to some of the matches that we just saw G1 and you know I still think Omega Okada 2 is probably the best match I've ever seen so even though I've seen those two matches live just the TV version of that match I still think if someone asked me what's the best match you've ever seen I think I have to pick Omega Okada 2 because we were there watching it and just what what just you know they were magicians that that night so yeah, I thought the, I mean, for 60 minutes, that pace they kept for 60 minutes, that's, that's tough, you know. So, enough of the G1 stuff. I, you know, I know <laughs> a lot of uh, wrestling fans who don't follow the Japanese wrestling, they get so mad when you talk about Japanese wrestling. So, you know, we did we did a lot there. They're missing out, though. I mean, yeah, they are, they are. It's, it's just it's just a hard it's funny, change. The same people that don't watch it bitch about wrestling today. Yeah. Oh, I wish their matches were longer, told more stories, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you kind of get that with Japanese wrestling. You know, you just get good. It's all about the match. And they do some comedy, and they have fun. But for the most part, if certain promotions you watch, like... Uh, you know, the, when it comes to the big matches, like it's all serious, it's all belt to belt, good wrestling. So they should really, you know, it's all out there now. You can find it. You don't have to have a description of New Japan World. You can find them out there somehow. Yeah, on our top ten list that we just published, all the matches, with the exception of, um, I think, Tanahashi Ibushi, all all the full matches are on are, are, are were on Daily Motion, so I was able to embed those. They're only for some reason I couldn't find the first. I only found highlights of, of that first match. Um, so okay, done done talking G one stuff, um, and we're gonna talk about something completely different. But because you are so much of a much more casual spectacle kind of boxing fan, the McGregor Mayweather fight. Um, do you have any interest in this thing whatsoever? Oh yeah, I can't wait. I just can't. I love. I love to see spectacles like this. And is it is it simply because it's just this big thing that it just becomes must see? Like what? Yeah. Are you, what are you excited about actually? I just want to see the, how the how the fight's gonna go. I mean, I know I have my my feeling is Mayweather's gonna win, but like 
I'm just curious how competitive Connor's is going to be, if he's going to be able to touch him or not. If he does touch him, what's going to happen? And I like the whole drama building up to this thing. I think it's been entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I like boxing, watching boxing. I used to watch a lot of boxing in the 90s uh-huh. when I had the legal cable box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I used to like watch this, and I just like the entrances, the guys with Meg. I like the people standing. I liked how they announced them. I don't know. It just yeah. seemed like this is a, a special event every yeah. time. So. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, boxing like, generally does that very well. It, yeah. it makes it feel important. Like, are we going to watch the whole show, or are we just showing up at the main event? Like, I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't think I don't think you'll be too interested in, in most of the show. I think the undercard uh you know more boxing hardcores may be maybe yeah. interested in it but um i think it's like one of, yeah like i can't imagine even the people going to this show um i don't think that i don't imagine that the uh the t-mobile center is going to fill up before the main event but then you know what is the main event going to last 10 minutes like you know what's going to happen know. i don't know they you know they they've um <laughs> The Nevada Athletic Commission uh, allowed Mayweather and McGregor to use eight ounce gloves, which, for their weight class, is not the default. The default is ten ounce gloves for, mm-hmm. for that size. And so McGregor, you know, had this thing about, oh, you know, I want to use smaller gloves because I got the power and everything. And uh, I don't know if that would have been necessarily my choice if I was McGregor because, I mean, maybe he is hoping for that, like, you know, that one-punch KO that I can get him. But I think this, <laughs> I think the smaller gloves are to Mayweather's benefit because... Like seeing faster? McGregor, I have a hard time feeling that McGregor is going to actually hit Mayweather. And I think Mayweather's going to hit McGregor at will. And so if you're the one that's going to be taking more shots... And the guy who's throwing them now has smaller gloves to use. That's probably not to your benefit. But who knows? Maybe McGregor can hit him with the with the shot that that will rock it. Maybe that's his why he wants them. But um, yeah, though I mean the whole circus aspect of this thing, I think to some extent it's been a little bit too much, and it may be uh, you know pushing away a couple people. But I just think you know we have this mentality as a society that. I, don't, I just don't want to miss this thing. Yeah. You know, it's called fear of missing out. Exactly. It's the same thing happened with uh, Mayweather Pacquiao for me. Like, I honestly, I wanted to watch it, but I had no place to watch it at, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we get a call from my wife's uh, nanny that we just nannies for. And they're like, hey, you want to go watch this? And like, they have no interest in it. Yeah. They, they want to be part of it. Yeah. You know? The part of the discussion, say they watched it. So, you know, I saw a free fight. So that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the $100, you know, I think uh, my kid is such a McGregor fan, he's, like, begging his mom to get it, so I think we're going to watch it at her house, uh, and and it's just, it's kind of fun seeing the this through his eyes, because he's such a McGregor fan that he's trying to will himself to believe that McGregor can win, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, it's kind of like pro wrestling back in the day for me, which was, I kind of thought I knew who might win, but still, if it was if it was the other guy, I was just hoping, you know, hoping that that he could he could win, 
And so the same thing with him. He just hopes McGregor could pull it off. But knowing deep down that it's probably not going to happen, but he will never say it because he doesn't want to go against this guy. You I know? wonder if uh, Big Dave's house is going to sell out this, this event. I think he's got he's got to watch it, right? No, he's watching it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's telling us to go over, but... So... Yeah, I wonder how who's going to show up for that one. I imagine it'll be a little bit more packed. Yeah. You might have to move the, the dumbbells around. Yep. My shield. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, so, uh, a couple other topics before we, we get out of here and, and get some food before this show. Um, UFC. I... I can't remember the last UFC show that I've actually watched from beginning to end. It was probably the pay-per-view actually before the Jones-Cormier show. But um, why, all of a sudden, I feel like my fandom has gone down a little bit after such a great year that they had last year, too. And it's kind of hard to explain because it's not like I'm being forced to watch these Fox FS1 shows or anything. Yeah. They, they just don't feel all that important. Um, but can, have you thought about you know why your fandom with the UFC has, has died down? I think there's just so many shows and the cards are, are thinner. You know, when it comes to like it's like if they would just condense it more. These cards would be like these major cards. Like back in the see like you look at the card like oh that one's that fight and that fight and that fight. Now it's like I mean Sergio Pettis is a headliner. Yeah. In a recent show it's like I mean it's probably a good fight but like I don't know it's like it's hard to. It's not, it's not going to make me give up my time to sit there for three hours and watch yeah. whatever it is. So, yeah. That's the thing. I, and so, it's so there's, I just kind of like, I'll watch the big stuff now. Now I'm like that point where I just watch the big stuff now. You know? And then everything else, I'm, I'll just like read it. Or if I can catch it, I used to tape everything. I used to set my DVR. Yeah. And watch it. Now it's like, now I forget they're even on. Yeah. You know? Did, did you, did you, you, were, you watched the Cormier fight. John yes. Jones? Yes, yes. Um, I watched it at... Uh, did I watch it at Big Dave's? Shit. Oh, no, I didn't watch it. No, I missed that one. You missed it. Okay, I missed I was, it too. I was, there was something going on that day. I, I had a John Mayer concert. <laughs> <laughs> um, the entire time, I'm, I'm, I'm following this through Twitter, right? Because I'm at, the, I'm at the concert, and I'm like, well, I'll be fine, but I'll just kind of follow it through Twitter. And even, I think everyone in, in, in Twitter was just hoping and, and, and pleading that Cormier had a shot. So they were actually making it seem like, you know, Cormier may have been doing more than, than he possibly was. But I was feeling the same way. Like, man, Cormier is going to lose, but oh, I, just, just for the sake of the sport and for the sake of him and, you know, for the sake of good versus evil, mm-hmm. you know, I hope that he does pull this thing off and win. But, I, you know, I knew he was probably a 10% chance that he could win that fight. Yeah. Um, what do you think about John Jones, this sort of resurgent character of John Jones? Uh, I'm not sold, and I don't know if the public is necessarily sold. Um, he has pulled these kind of shenanigans before and then turned out to be maybe not the hero that everyone wanted him to be. And not to say to me, like, I don't give a crap what he does, uh, you know, but if he's going to lie, then I'll call him a liar. And if he's going to do drugs, then I'm just going to be like, okay, dude, like, you're cheating, like, whatever. But do you buy this new John Jones? Uh, no, because he hasn't proved it yet that he is this new John Jones, you know. So we'll see 
within a year if that if that's the case, you know. But I'm looking forward to Brock, Brock versus John Jones. Yeah, that, that's, that's what that's what I was gonna ask you next. That's the fight I want to see. That's that will make me make sure I see that. Man. I will definitely see that fight. So the fight will have to be at heavyweight, obviously, because yeah. Brock is gigantic. Um, John Jones would probably I don't know. What do you think he'd weigh? Two twenty five, something like that. Yeah, he'd probably put a little more muscle on. And, yeah, it's 35. But, I mean, Brock doesn't have a chance. No. No, no, no chance. How, how, if, if he did have a chance, what like what could he do? Because... Well, he's not going to be able to... I mean, I, don't, I think John's too slick to be out-wrestled. Like, he'll get up. Um, John's going to pick him apart with striking. Yeah. There's no way. To, uh, Lesnar, has, Lesnar has no head movement, you know? Yeah. It's scary, actually. It's, gonna, it's not going to last long. I think it'd be, like, one round. Unless Jones kind of coasts a little bit in the first round. And then I wonder if Jones will sort of look at that Overeem fight as kind of the blueprint of, of what he wants to do. Yeah, go for the body. Yeah, I just remember, like, Brock looked like a, a hurt animal in that fight. And I was just like, yeah, and not, not that your heart necessarily breaks for a 265-pound beast. But I was yeah. just like, ah, oh, I didn't want to see him go out like that. Yeah, yeah it just sucks that Brock didn't start this when he's a lot younger. All right, so so last two topics. We're going to go back to wrestling, um, and these are just kind of like hypotheticals that that you know you throw out when you're on, you know, road trips like this. And uh, actually, let's do the Google Maps check here. Oh, we still have over an hour left in this bad traffic. Um, so, if you were to say, or if you could, if you could go back to one time period in wrestling and watch that time period. What would what what time period do you think you would pick? Oh man, I would say the seventies because there's so many territories, and if I could travel to all of them for like a amount of time to see like how they worked and and I see with videotapes and stuff yeah. and, and footage, but like being there live and seeing how that is, I think the seventies and second and second would be eighties because you're going back to when you're a little, little kid, you know. So that that that'd be for me. Seventies, because everyone always says, "Oh, John, you wish you were around the seventies, you know." Yeah. And that, because I really like that style of wrestling. I think the art is like truly the best in the seventies when it came to like storytelling. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were like, "You'll watch today, probably like, oh, it's boring, it's so slow." But yeah, you know, it's not boring if you're really watching the selling and and uh, you know they make every little thing mean something. A headlock doesn't just mean the guy's just sitting there holding the guy and there's waiting to do the next thing it's actually they're grinding on the head they're pulling on the head it's gonna have a consequence later in the match Mm -hmm. uh what about what would you say out of the stuff that you grew up watching is your favorite era or your favorite year even uh, of, of of as a wrestling fan my favorite year is probably 89 that really like for me that kind of just blew everything up for me and i was just in I had to watch everything. You know, the NWA at the time was, like, so exciting. Yeah, and second half of 89, really, when, when Flair got the book and George Scott was out. Like, the whole Funk and Flair stuff. Steamboat Flair, so of course, but, like, Funk and Flair, Muda, Sting, Luger. You know, you had the Steiner brothers emerging. You had all the, like, Brian Bryan was moving on up. It's, like, it's all this great talent. It's just so exciting. And Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go back to 89, 90-ish. I think, I mean, I think, I think that's right. I 
think I would also, like, if I could just rewatch something from start to finish, um, it might be either 97 Raws <laughs> or 2000 um, Raw, SmackDown, and pay-per-views, because they were all good. Yeah. Like, I don't think the pay-per-views in 97 for WWF were all that good. I mean, even that WrestleMania is probably one of the worst ones that they've mm-hmm. ever done. Well, you can watch it now. No, I mean, yeah, you for can. For You can. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I was, thinking, I was thinking about dropping my WWE uh, Network subscription, but then I was like, ah, but really? all this old stuff to watch. Um, yeah, because I'm just not using it as much as I thought I was going to I'm not using it as much as I thought I would either, but, like, you know, like, tomorrow night's going to be TakeOver. That's going to be always really yeah, great show. Yeah, for sure. So. For sure. Um, yeah, as we record this TakeOver is uh, tomorrow. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think 2000 was just so good, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, they were, like, running high speed that mm-hmm. whole year. Yeah, 2000s. They were just going crazy. Awesome. They had the talent, the crazy talent. They brought over all the guys from WCW that they that they wanted. Um, and then, and then yeah, just the mixing of, of all those guys. And, and, and it's almost, like, slightly to a detriment, because, like, if you could have staggered bringing in those guys a little you know you maybe you go through 2002 and it's still hot is all hell mm-hmm. but you know bringing all those guys in at once and 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 it just made that roster so deep but you kind of you kind of uh you could have extended it if you had the uh, opportunity to to kind of uh you know bring them in a little bit more slowly that was just the era because like with the ratings wars and stuff like they're throwing you're wasting all these great matches for free on tv instead of like building them up to where, like, you just have to see them at this pay-per-view coming up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think, wasn't Austin and Big Show on a, a Raw free? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Like, pretty soon after yeah, it debuted. it was after, it was, I think it was right after the Valentine's Day match. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think I remember, like, wow, you would think that it would be built up more, but nope, it's right to it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then uh, even even that WrestleMania was a little bit disappointing for Big Show because he he, uh, he didn't he lose to Mankind, Mankind right yeah yeah that WrestleMania was weird though that's the one with uh, no that's not the one with Triple H one right no that was uh, that was Rock Austin mm. the first time that's right that's right ninety eight no ninety nine ninety nine WrestleMania fifteen yeah um all right so now this this will probably be a little bit harder. But let's say, you know, the, desert, the deserted island thing is so cliche, and then you'll probably make, like, a Hawaii joke. But um, <laughs> but if let, let's say that you can only watch ten wrestling matches for the rest of your life, Jeez. or five, or three, whatever the number is. But what are some of the matches that, that you think you would put on that tape, or that DVD, or that thumb drive? <sighs> So many of them, so... Flair Funk from Clash 9. Steamboat Flair from Windy City Showdown. Um, it would be... One of the Tanahashis from Zakatas. Uh, Masawa Kawada from June of 94. Uh, Kobashi Kikuchi versus Furnace and Lafon, or... Profit time from 1992. That one match of the year. Trying, there's so many. I 
that's a hard list to make because it's still growing at this point, right? Yeah, totally. So, but I would also go back to like, because I think WWE, they, you know, during this era, there was a lot of good stuff that maybe people don't even think about being as good because maybe you know, oh, WWE is overhyped or whatever. But like, Rock Austin at WrestleMania 17. Even with sort of the the goofy, funky finish at the end, mm-hmm. um, I I just remember watching that match, going like, "Wow, you know that they, they." I had a certain expectation, and they like matched it, you know, mm-hmm. or even went above it slightly. The other match that doesn't really get as much praise because of you know the what happened after the fact is the Benoit Michaels Triple H Triple yeah. Threat yeah. at WrestleMania. Uh, WrestleMania 20, like that match is amazing, and it was also one of those where you're just like, they, they, I sure hope that they do the right thing here, you know. And uh, Triple H would actually use that in in matches where he would kick out of something, and everyone goes, oh, now we know he's gonna win, and then he would lose later in the in the match. Um, and another one is uh, Bret Hart and Austin at WrestleMania 13. Yeah, like that might be, you know. Prior to this Omega Okada, that might have been my favorite match of all time. Not not one that I'd seen live, obviously, but that like that that match was like almost a perfect mix of everything I liked from a character standpoint to just Austin. You could just tell like he was coming on strong, and you know I I, I would I was following Austin from the PWI days, and then when right when he got into WCW. Uh, and, you know, when he comes in and you go, oh, I know who that guy is, you yeah. kind of feel like you're a little bit of a wrestling nerd at that point. But, <laughs> um, you know, so watching him, you know, actually get to that level in WWF was really cool. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, just thinking about matches like that, I mean, I'm sure Alan, uh, Alan Forel probably has a list somewhere of, you know, <laughs> of a hundred matches that, that he put on uh, a DVD or whatever. But okay, so we still have a little bit of time on this road trip, uh, but uh, we're going to cut it off now. We'll come back later in the night after the show's over, and we've got that long, immortal drive back to San Jose. It won't be as bad, though. And, uh, and, and then we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about how Civic Slam ends up. I'm really excited. Uh, when I, I love seeing Jeff Cobb whenever I get the chance to, so that, that'll be super fun. And uh, yeah, so we'll be back. And a little bit, but it will be like it's just nothing on the edit. All right, everybody, I'm back. Uh, John and I didn't record on the way home. He was pretty exhausted. I was pretty tired. Uh, and, and we were just kind of cruising, talking about other stuff. But I just wanted to give an update on the show. So APW Civic Slam in Stockton. I have been to several APW shows within the last year, year and a half, and I wouldn't say this was a bad show, but it was definitely um, not as good as some of their other ones, and I'm uh, just going to quickly go through the results. Uh, Boyce Legrand and Rick Luxury uh, won a four-way, and I think this is going to have something to do with a uh, uh, tag title match or something down the line, maybe even for the... Um, the uh, Cow Palace when they go back, I believe, in November. Um, and then the next match was the Hurricane defeating Stiker. Uh, the Hurricane, you know, 
you hear that music, and he still does the character, so he was he was pretty beloved by the crowd, uh, and he won uh, with I think he won with the choke slam, uh, but he did all of the stuff that you'd expect him to do. Um, Stiker was uh, Stiker looked very athletic. He did a, a spot from the he got to the top of the middle rope, and he put his foot uh, on the hurricane's I think shoulder or arm as he was kind of standing up and. He just, from that position, just went down onto the hurricane with it. Pretty athletic guy. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so the next match would have been Carl Fredericks beating Tommy Dreamer uh, for the internet t- or internet title defense. Um, Dreamer, again, very well known with that crowd, so they were excited. They took it into the crowd. Uh, Dreamer used the the plastic garbage can and everything. And I think of it, uh, um, he, got, he got one of the fans, a, a young girl to chop uh, Frederick's uh, right in the chest, overhand chop. It sounded uh, legit, so she got him She got him good. I don't. I, I wonder if they went through that or some, someone taught her how to throw that or what, because she threw it very well. Uh, but Carl, Carl won the match. He is, uh, he is a nice um, up-and-comer for APW. Uh, got a really good look and... Um, may, may copy the rock a little bit too much, but still tons of athleticism, great look, and uh, I think uh, I think they got something in him for the future. So it'll be interesting to see how how they use him. Um, and also uh, Jacob Fatu, uh, Fatu and uh, Jungle Boy beat uh, Funny Bone and, and Sin Bodhi. Uh, Jungle Boy is, is one of my favorites simply because of who his dad is, uh, 90210 star uh, Luke Perry. Um, and so uh, the cool thing about about uh, Jungle Boy is he's, he's obviously very young. Um, he is uh, very skinny, but he's also, you know, also moves very well. But, you know, he, he's such a small guy, um, but, you know, likes to do a lot of, a lot of, uh, high flying stuff and and he's got he's got a he's got he looks like the jungle boy like as you would imagine he sits in the corner and he crouches um Fatu's awesome he won the uh, the Cow Palace Battle Royale uh at at the first Cow Palace show earlier this year um so athletics for for how his size everything he does is 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 great um he's another one who's like you know he he he's one of the future talents of of APW um tag title match so um one of the guys uh the the tag team duo uh uh he was he was uh he was i guess he was gone he, something happened he couldn't get to the show um so there was a replacement Vinny Massaro replaced Sin and the tag team champs beat uh Bobby Hart and Daniel Torch um the best match as far as crowd response up to this point in the show, and maybe 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 it was the best match of the show. I think you know the crowd really got into this was Willie Mack beating Brian Cage. It was your indie special as far as high spots, kicking out of finishers, uh, no selling, <laughs> uh, no selling stuff, um, the kind of stuff that just seems to work these days. And uh, they they did they did very well. The crowd was was fired up. They loved it, and uh, it it it, uh, it it delivered. It delivered exactly for what that Stockton crowd wanted. 
Um, Nicole Savoy, who is actually going to be on uh, the May Young Classic, uh, which is going to, I guess they're going to start dropping episodes next week. Um, she beat Candice LeRae. Uh, Matt Cross beat Timothy Thatcher. Cross uh, did the move where he dives with chest first uh, to hit the top rope, and I, I think he bounces back and does something. I was I was uh, sitting with with Dave Dutra, who has worked uh, APW shows in the past um, and is currently retired, uh, and he said he's taken that move before. And in this instance, Cross does the chest forward dive into the top rope to bounce back, and the rope breaks. So the rope literally splits into into two pieces, and um, and so Cross kind of does like a head first dive out in, into the floor, and thankfully he he was uh, he was fine. He actually tweeted out the video of of what had happened. So um, that was kind of a scary moment, and uh, and it was just like, whoa, what happened? But he got up, and him and him and Thatcher um, were able to. Uh, have the rest of the match without a top rope, and and they improvised and went to the finish, and and Cross won the match. Um, I've seen tons of Timothy Thatcher, Thatcher matches in the past, and you know they're all ju- usually really good, and and it's a specific style. He works the mat, lots of grappling, lots of submissions, um, and that this match was a little bit different. So uh, maybe it was just me really enjoying uh, Tim's usual style but I don't know I, I felt like uh I thought this was going to be a little bit better than it was but then again you know they lost the top rope so uh, they were able to, to turn it into to you know to something at, at least so that led to um Jeff Cobb def- uh defending his APW championship against Pe- uh uh Penta L however you pronounce L-O-M or what Pentagon the the old Pentagon uh, and they they didn't have um, obviously one of the ropes, so instead the ring crew took off the bottom rope and put it on the top rope. So the 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 world title match had uh, two ropes, but there was the top and the middle. Um, Jeff uh, Jeff won the match uh, using the tour of the islands. Uh, he kicked out of uh, two Canadian destroyers. Um, this match was probably a little bit shorter than I thought. I, I I thought it had, you know, maybe two or three hot minutes left in it. But uh it I, I would say uh they probably went home a little too early based on on you know maybe where the heat was and the comeback and stuff. But um still good stuff. I mean Jeff is uh gosh, Jeff is one of the best sellers out there right now. He sells everything so well. Um you know he every he makes huge moves just look even bigger because of the way he sells. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a Pentagon wrestle, so that was that was actually pretty cool. He's a lot bigger than I thought he was. Um, but overall, a good match, not not great match. At least you know I, I read in the Observer, you know everywhere Jeff goes, it, it seems like he's having great matches. This was a good match. It was you know it wasn't a fantastic match, but it was still good stuff. Um, and then yeah, so that that was about it. So. You know, it was it was it was in the middle of of shows that I've seen. Um, John, you know, John's uh, old company premiere. Um, you know, this wouldn't have been uh, a good premiere show. It, it wasn't as good as some of the APW shows, but you know, it was there was still fun stuff in it. And you know, whenever you just get to go hang out and 
you know, road trip with your buddies, and, you know, I got to, like I said, I got to sit with Dave Dutra, and his wife was there, and uh, Luke Perry's daughter was there rooting on her, her, uh, her brother, and so I got to tell her, I, I told her to, to, um, to tell her dad one of his famous, um, one of his famous lines, and so I think she's, she said she would deliver it to him, but I, she probably, she probably won't, won't remember, it was just, it was just when, um, when Luke was, when D- the Dylan character was going through his, his interesting times, and, and Brandon was like, look, man, I, I'm like one of the only friends you got left, and Dylan looks at him and says, may the bridges I burn light the way. So I told her to tell that to her dad. She, she, I can't imagine she would remember that whole thing, but anyways. Um, so, uh, yeah. Oh, so that, that's it. So, uh, We'll see. We'll see how this sounds when when I put it up. I've uh, the the sound quality of, of being in a, in a car and driving in traffic all the way to Stockton with John and I just shooting the, sh- the stuff. So um, thanks again. Uh, thanks to John for for doing it. Um, and yeah. So we'll see you when we see you. Peace out.